don't mind having and bearing sanctions banning us from Europe. We are not Europeans. We have not asked for any inch of Europe or any square inch of that territory. So, Blair, keep your England and let me keep my Zimbabwe. Chairman, having said that, may I say, people must always come first in any process of sustainable development. And let our Africans come first in the development of Africa. Not as puppets, not as bakers, but as a sovereign people. It suspended payments which had been made to Zimbabwe for the previous 17 years as a provision of Mugabe's government respecting the land stipulations made in the Lancaster House Agreement. When Mugabe visited Britain in 1999, human rights groups protested his presence there. That same year, the International Monetary Fund terminated its funding to the government in Harare owing to its failure to implement the reforms which it deemed necessary to receive the same, as well as its human rights abuses and political failures. Finally, in 2002, Zimbabwe was expelled from the Commonwealth of Nations, the British umbrella group of former colonies. By now, Mugabe was considered a pariah to the international community and widely condemned as such. At home, things became even worse in the 2000s. Towards the end of the 1990s, Mugabe had initiated a new program of rapid land redistribution, whereby the large farms which had been in the hands of white settlers would be redistributed in small allotments to black Africans. In part, this was an effort to rejuvenate ZANU-PF's flagging support across the country. The policy proved disastrous. While the monopolization of large estates in the hands of the white minority was certainly a residual crime of the colonial period, there is also little doubting that the previous owners had run these large farms efficiently. That was not the case from 2000 onwards, as many of those who were given their lands had little experience of farming at all. Unsurprisingly, beginning in 2002, production levels declined very considerably across the country. For instance, where roughly 2 million tons of maize, a staple crop in the country, were produced countrywide in 2000, this declined to less than half a million tons in 2008. Thus, for Zimbabweans who had already faced economic decline and massive political unrest in their country for the first 20 years of Mugabe's rule, the 2000s also brought food shortages and the arrival of humanitarian aid companies to the country to try to prevent a widespread famine. All of this was in sharp contrast to the life lived by Mugabe himself. 
his second wife, their family, and the upper echelons of ZANU-PF. Mugabe certainly benefited from being in power, but Grace Mugabe, who many understood as being a particularly nefarious influence on Mugabe after his first wife died in 1992, became notorious as Gucci Grace, jetting off to Paris for lavish spending sprees and building several palaces around Harare, one notably referred to as Graceland in a nod to Elvis Presley's famed mansion. She was not alone in this. Many of the other senior figures within ZANU-PF lined their own pockets for decades after they came to power, often using the idea of reclaiming land from white settlers for black Africans to facilitate their own profiting from land redistribution. Politics and business became the preserve of the party, which dealt in patronage through gifts and bribes. The implications of all this could be seen on the outskirts of northern Harare, where ZANU-PF members built mansions in the suburb of Borodale, the most notorious being Blue Roof, the presidential mansion in which the Mugabes lived. All of this was in sharp contrast to the poverty and destitution which pervaded the wider country. With Zimbabwe increasingly isolated and its economy imploding, Mugabe found himself facing challenges to his power at home for the first time towards the end of the 1990s. This was exacerbated by his decision to intervene in the Second Congo War without consulting the National Assembly or other relevant parties. Perhaps unsurprisingly, over 20 military officers were arrested in January of the following year in the wake of the discovery of an attempted military coup to remove Mugabe from power. That same year, Morgan Sangarai, a former member of ZANU-PF, established a new political party to challenge Mugabe and ZANU-PF's hegemony over Zimbabwean politics. This was the Movement for Democratic Change, or MDC. Stangarai quickly established that his goal was to bring down Mugabe. A particularly incendiary aspect of his work in the years that followed was in drawing attention to the Gukurahundi genocide of the 1980s and stating publicly that if he was in power, individuals would have to be held accountable for what had happened. In 2002, he ran against Mugabe in the presidential election and came a close second to Mugabe with 42% of the vote. Many believed that, had it not been for voter intimidation and fraud, including the murder of many MDC officials, Tsvangarai would have won the election. Despite this setback, the years that followed only further damaged Mugabe's standing, and so with elections looming in 2008, many believed Tsvangarai's time was finally at hand. Mugabe lost the 2008 Zimbabwean presidential election to Morgan Tsvangarai. In the first round, he received just 43% of the vote, compared to 48% for Tsvangarai. The vote was also widely doctored, and the result was not released for a month after voting had taken place. Tsangarai's failure to gain 50% of the vote, or over, ensured a second round runoff between himself and Mugabe in June of that year. But in the interim, increasing violence between the government and supporters of Tsangarai's MDC saw Tsangarai withdraw from the election. Mugabe had already publicly stated at this point that he would never allow his opponent to become president. Months of further violence followed, at the end of which Mugabe agreed to a power-sharing deal whereby he would retain the office of president, but Tsvangarai was granted the junior position of prime minister. This was just a facade, though, and power continued to rest with him and ZANU-PF 
as most of the important ministries and the security forces and army remained under Mugabe's control. A sign of the continued hegemony of Mugabe in Zimbabwean politics was seen in 2010, when he unilaterally moved to appoint new provincial governors throughout the country, without consulting with Tsangarai and his MDC government partners first. The period of Mugabe's new presidency and power-sharing agreement with Tsangarai was marked by one of the most destructive periods of hyperinflation that any country has experienced in modern times, as Zimbabwe's economy went into meltdown. This was owing to years of financial mismanagement during the post-independence Mugabe years. For instance, inflation in Rhodesia had been in single-figure percentiles during the 1970s. It quickly began to regularly exceed 10% during the 1980s. However, it was not until the late 1990s when a combination of factors including a high national debt brought on by excessive borrowing in the previous decade, a decline in economic output and price controls imposed by the government, as well as sustained poor fiscal policies, resulted in hyperinflation setting in. It topped 50% in 1999, before reaching nearly 200% in 2002 and 600% in 2003, the situation seemed to stabilize for some years, but as the global financial recession set in during late 2008, Zimbabwe's economy completely imploded, compounded by the decision of the Reserve Bank to start printing new money, a move which will always lead to further inflation whenever it is practiced. By the late 2000s, the government had stopped even monitoring inflation, as it was believed to have exceeded 1 million percent. As this occurred, the Zimbabwean dollar effectively lost all its value, and the economy regressed to either barter or the use of foreign currencies. At the same time, unrest at Mugabe's continuation in power continued to simmer below the surface of Zimbabwean society. In 2011, Mugabe officially announced his intention to stand for election again in the next presidential election. Doubts had been expressed that he would do so and many had believed he would step down owing to increasing health problems as he neared his 90th year. That election was scheduled for 2012, but was postponed until the following year as both the ZANU-PF and the MDC agreed to delay it in order to draft a new constitution for the country. That constitution was duly passed by a referendum in the spring of 2013. The presidential election was then scheduled for July of that year, but many people within Zimbabwe and international observers abroad believed it would be heavily interfered with to ensure Mugabe yet again defeated Tsvangarai. The months leading up to it did not hold out much promise of anything else, as political opponents were attacked and Mugabe refused to allow any Western observers to come to Zimbabwe to monitor the legitimacy of the elections. Meanwhile, he engaged in a propaganda drive by visiting Europe for Pope Francis's inauguration, whilst refusing to rule out standing in the 2018 presidential election if he won a new term until then. At the same time, Tsvangarai and the MDC were complaining that tens of thousands of early ballots in his favor had been destroyed by the government. The election was finally held on the 31st of July 2013. Results were released in early August. These declared Mugabe to be the victor, with nearly 62% of the vote, while Tsangarai had polled just 34%. A seed change from the first round result of 2008, which had been criticized in any event for its illegitimacy. 
Additionally, ZANU-PF won two-thirds of the seats in the National Assembly. Thus, where following the 2008 elections Mugabe and his party had been forced to accommodate their rivals, lessons had been learned by 2013, and the elections were doctored and manipulated to ensure a clear majority for both Mugabe and ZANU-PF. Thus, Mugabe was sworn in for a new term as president in late August at 89 years of age. However, this new term would yet again be blighted by years of hyperinflation and declining living standards. Moreover, by now the country was considered a complete pariah state by the international community, a status which effectively could not be lifted until Mugabe agreed to relinquish power. Robert Mugabe's tenure in charge of Zimbabwe would ultimately continue until late 2017, by which time he was 93 years of age. He did not leave quietly. A crisis began in November 2017 as public discourse in the country turned to the election of 2018 and whether or not Mugabe would refuse to stand down. It appeared that he had no intention of doing so and actions by the government suggested he was yet again attempting a clampdown on political criticism in advance of the election. Then, in early November, Mugabe dismissed his vice president, Emerson Mnangagwa, who was viewed by many as an individual who should succeed Mugabe as president and leader of ZANU-PF the following year. Tensions were also evident between Mugabe and his wife, the first lady, Grace Mugabe, who had emerged as a powerful political figure herself in recent years by taking control of the women's wing of ZANU-PF. Mnangagwa's dismissal was a bridge too far for many within the military, and on the 14th of November, a coup was initiated by the Zimbabwean Defense Forces, which were largely in control of the capital Harare by the end of the day. In a largely bloodless seizure of power, the leaders of the coup made it clear that their intention wasn't to seize power themselves, but to remove Mugabe. Thus, on the 19th of November, ZANU-PF moved to dismiss Mugabe as their leader, replacing him with Nangagwa. Even then, Mugabe refused to resign. And so, it was only after the Zimbabwean parliament began to impeach him on the 21st of November that he finally stepped down after 37 years as leader and then tyrant of Zimbabwe. Nangagwa succeeded as just the second ever leader of independent Zimbabwe, three days later.
Yeah.